Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. All right. So I'm here with Mike from uh, Centuria. You have quite a successful cannabis company uh, currently. And uh, but I want to take you back. You you know we had dinner last night. That was awesome. By the way, uh, we went to a sushi restaurant. We talked for like an hour and a half. Uh, that was, that was great, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, and really what stuck out to me was, you know, your early beginnings, like you, you had a dad that was just really a great influence on you. So can you talk about that and kind of how he, you know, uh, helped you be in the business you are today? Absolutely. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, the, the Genesis story of the company, um, I think is, is a fascinating one and that it really did start with having a great mentor. And I just happened to luck out that, you know, my father spent his entire life involved in multi-unit restaurant and bar operations. That technology, uh, those, those systems were directly applicable to uh, any, any retail, any retail operation. And so at the time uh, I broke away from mortgage banking uh, in my early twenties and started uh, one of the first medical marijuana dispensaries in the United States. Um, and doing so, I'd say that the, the biggest the, the biggest challenge that dispensary operators were facing, continue to face, is is internal leakage. So, um, yeah, employee theft is is a big problem, just as it is in, in bars and restaurants. Right. Um, right. And so, by being one of the first companies to implement inventory management systems that were identical to uh, to bars and kitchens, uh, it allowed me to bring my leakage. Uh, rate below probably any other dispensary in the state. Now, uh, by doing so, it allowed me to have lower prices than my competitors. It allowed me to grow faster because there was greater access to capital. Uh, and then also just having a mentor that uh, spent one hour a day every single day for four and a half years going over short, medium, and long-term goals. Uh, and that ended up allowing uh, the expansion of, of, of four, 14, 14 companies inside of three years. Wow. Okay. Um, now, your experience with your dad, what, what were like the, the pillars that he kind of, you talked about this, right? I kind of want to know the other pillars because you told me three or four, but I want to know the, all of them. So, <laughs> so tell me what we talked about trends, you know, temporarily, but like, tell me about like what really caused that. Uh, so first of all, great, great entrepreneurs. I think the thing that sets them out, um, are, are two major things. First of all, I think there's, uh, there, there's something that is a little off with their risk reward center in their mind. So it could be a mental health issue. It uh, could be a superpower. Uh, depends who yeah. you ask. Uh, but clearly, right. there's some sort of skewed analysis of, of risks, of losses, right. uh, th that, that entrepreneurs have the innate ability to uh, neglect heroic amounts of negativity and to persevere uh, in the face uh, of the odds being heavily stacked against them. The second, I would say, uh, important character traits is just having good pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. um, I think great entrepreneurs see uh, patterns uh, in greater detail 
they see trends emerging faster than uh, than, than you know the average human being, and their ability to take action based on that pattern recognition is what makes them a great entrepreneur. Okay, so those those are two right there. Okay, do you think the first one? Do you think that's uh, innate? Uh, I, I I do. I, I think I think that something is inherently wrong with my brain. The fact that uh, I've gone through three DEA raids, which each one of them cost me over a half million dollars. I went through through one Department of Justice uh, uh, issue that ended up with with the grand jury investigation, where I was facing twenty to life in prison, and I refused to not give up in this industry, even though my father was begging me. Uh, a lot of people in my family were begging me to change jobs, go. Wow. Yeah. Do- I've had that situation before myself where people were like, dude, you just get a job man. <laughs> just be, be at peace. You know, uh, you know, you don't need to put yourself through this and your situation was a lot worse. So your, your situation was I'm going to prison potentially. And, um, and you didn't even like in my view, my view, you didn't even do anything wrong. I mean, it was just you, like it was just the the, the timing was wrong. I I, I suppose, right? Um, uh, yeah. So so uh, in in two thousand nine, the the yeah. Ogden memo was was released, and it was the Department of Justice under Barack Obama stated that the federal government would not use uh, federal funds to circumvent state laws regarding medical marijuana. Right, right, right. Now Kamala Harris, who was the Attorney General of California at that time, came she was out, going after people like crazy. Uh, but she wasn't going after medical marijuana dispensaries. She was actually supportive of states' rights and the 10th Amendment. So oh, okay. she was actually our biggest ally in the state of California. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Okay. And so we had Kamala Harris, the state AG, saying everything that we were doing as a 44-acre permitted nursery in California was, uh, was, was adherent to state law and therefore uh, was consistent with federal policy. Yeah. And then that federal policy changed overnight in April of 2011. And so the, uh, the Department of Justice went after about eight different governors, uh, their health ministers, people that were implementing. What did they do to the governors, governors, by the way? They sent them letters stating that they were going to throw them in jail if they executed, if they signed, uh, if they signed laws allowing medical cannabis in their states. And wow. then they sent okay. me a letter stating that I was going to go to jail for a very long time if I continued operating my nursery, correct? Wow. Okay. So how did they... How did they know you were like, did you, you were just registered, right? And you were, you were like a specific target because you were bigger than most people, right? We were like, easily a hundred times larger than the next largest cultivation facility anywhere in North America. Okay. So you were like, you, they wanted to use you to set the example pretty much. Yes. All right. So you were the only dis, like nursery that they went after then. I was the only commercial point. enterprise. They went after yeah. eight governors and me in the same stroke of a pen. Okay. And then through that process, like, was that like, were you losing sleep through that process? Was like, were you just like sweating every night? Like, Uh, it was, it was definitely the worst day of my life when I had to, uh, when I had to close the company because I had spent my entire twenties, uh, having, uh, consecutive win after consecutive win. And so it was the first time I took a really big loss and just dealing with, uh, the fact that now I had 30 employees that were unemployed. Um, I had no access to capital. The department of justice ended up getting the DEA to raid existing dispensaries that were kind of my, um, kind of my backup. And so they did a really thorough job of cleaning out every bank account asset that I had. Uh, and I ended up uh, being kind of semi homeless, living on a boat in the middle of nowhere with my dog for six months. Oh, dude. (laughs) Why do you feel like government was going after like nurseries and dispensaries? And uh, I think that in 2011 there was a federal issue that could have put 
uh, could have put a number of individuals uh, at at the attorney general's office in jail called Operation Fast and the Furious. Uh, and because of that uh, very serious issue at the DOJ level, they used medical marijuana as a, sco- as a smokescreen for the next two years to deflect uh, uh, media attention from uh, you know, from two federal agents uh, getting killed by guns that uh, that same federal agency um, let walk across the border to Mexico. There's so much like shady crap that goes on in the government, like it's crazy. You you want like you, they're not supposed to, but like there's just it just it's impressive how I mean it's not impressive. It's it's shocking how many. People in the government do these weird things that cause deaths of people and they try to hide it. It's it's like just weird. Um, okay, so uh, you lived on a boat for six months. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, it was it was a great experience. Uh, I got yeah. in great shape. All I could do was uh, go running every morning. Uh, I, I, I just made a list of everything I could do to get my business uh, back into a state of traction. And so I, had, I would have a list of about 20 items. It was people right. to call. It was, uh, you know, follow-ups uh, with, with leads that came in for raising capital, those yeah. types of things. Uh, and I ended up successfully uh, getting the uh, Minister of, of Health in El Salvador to approve a biotech company to right. start developing uh, an allopathic drug uh, that was cannabis-based as an antiemetic using cannabidiol. Right. Okay. So uh, let's step back for a second. So um, how I relate to that. Let me just talk about that. So you lived on a boat for six months. I lived in my car for, I, th- I would say, a few weeks at a time, you know, because um, I was just struggling and I was going through like a huge personal issue. And so me personally, I can relate to that because it's, it, it's, it sucks. But from the outside looking in, it's like get a job, right? But something in you was like, something in me was like, no, I'm not, I'm not quitting. I don't care what happens to me. It's a little different now that I have, you know, family and like I'm having a baby girl coming in April, but like for you, did, was it like painful for you to go through that process? Cause it wasn't that painful for me. It was painful for people on the outside looking in, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you should do something else. But like, w- was it, was it painful during that process? I, w- I wouldn't say it was painful. I mean, I, I had the option. I had uh, job offers from a handful of friends, uh, that were, you know, uh, sales positions, management positions with companies. But again, it would mean that I was working for someone else and I was giving up on my lifelong dream. And that would have been more painful to give up yeah. than, uh, you know, some sort of creature comfort uh, for the next, you know, 30 years. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then, uh, okay. So you, you're talking about investors and then starting a new product line. All right. Yeah. So we switched from medical marijuana inside the United States, which is, uh, was, and still is federally illegal as uh, a schedule one substance to actually, but not the, state. It's not, it's not illegal in States. Yeah. At the state level. Uh, correct. Uh, medical okay. marijuana, okay. recreational marijuana is legal in specific States, but uh, still at the federal level, if, uh, if, if they uh, can still screw you at the federal level, like yes. they can, they can decide if you piss somebody off, they could literally just go after you. On a fluke, yes. And there's mandatory minimum sentencing uh, in the event that you were to end up in a federal court. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, okay. So continue. So, uh, so the one thing I was told after, uh, the department of justice issue is that I was still allowed to operate in the space according to my uh, investors that I was uh, still working with. However, I could not violate any federal laws, which meant that there was no more commercial activity in the United States in the cannabis space at that time. So what did I do? I started pitching every country in Latin America on bringing my biotech company, which was you know, a de facto cannabis company because you can't develop 
cannabinoid class medicines without growing cannabis. And all I wanted to do was continue research on large scale cultivation, extraction and product manufacturing methods. Got it. Okay. And so what, who are you approaching in these countries? Government officials or? Yeah, the minister of health of every country in Latin America. Holy crap. So how are you getting to the minister of health? Uh, I ended up partnering with uh, with a consultant that used to work for Zeneca, uh, British Zeneca, um, and he was the head of uh, he was head of business development for Latin America for 25 years. He was a, a very close friend's father, and so he saw what I was trying to do, saw the vision, got on board, and he already had those contacts. And so every single minister of health in every country was a phone call away for him. And so he ended up coordinating all these meetings, uh, ended up having preliminary discussions with uh, just about every country. Uh, in, in the region, and then actually got two countries um, to uh, sign up for two different parts of the supply chain. That's awesome. So, like, when everyone counted you out, pretty much, you were just like, "No, I'm gonna make this happen." Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, 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 I, did you have a conversation with your parents at this point? I was like, you know, you can't sell Michael in all of the U.S. You can't. You 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 need to get. You need to do something else. Right? Uh, did you have a conversation like that with your dad or, or your mom, or and and how did that conversation go? Like, I'm pretty sure the conversation was great. So you can't violate federal law, which means you can't be involved in the cannabis space anymore. I guess you have to go get a job. And I said, nope, I'm just going to go to another sovereign nation and get some country to approve uh, federally my ability to operate. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you look back at 2011, there was no Uruguay there. Yeah. There was, you know, there was uh, Spain uh, hadn't even gotten started yet. Uh, Canada's uh, MMRP program wasn't even a blip on the map. And so there, there wasn't a single, there wasn't a single uh, nation in the world that was even thinking about this yeah. uh, as a possibility. And I simply, um, you know, manifested it into existence. So what two countries said yes? Uh, Belize on farming and El Salvador on the drug development and research. Okay. And then, so how long before you started like making, like creating a product and then start making sales? The biggest challenge uh, at that time was, I mean, we're now we're going back to 2011, was separating THC from CBD because we were, I mean, in 2011, no one really knew what cannabidiol was. They didn't know really what it was used for. We had preliminary data from other clinical trials uh, at Israel that showed that it was a powerful anti-emetic. And so we felt that that was uh, a good enough uh, direction uh, to take the first phase uh, of the of the company. And so we had to look at how to uh, identify specific genetics that would grow in those regions that had uh, high ratios of, of CBD to, to THC. And those genetics weren't widely available at the time. Secondly, uh, once you have a botanical extract, uh, getting the separation of THC and CBD was considered to be impossible at that time because you have two molecules that are virtually identical. They have the same molecular molecular mass, so you can't use um, a centrifuge to separate them very easily. They have the same affinity for the same solvents, and so you can't use solvents for separation. Uh, And they have very similar volatility points, and so molecular distillation really isn't a solution. And so what we ended up doing is pioneering the use of chromatography uh, in, in the cannabis space. And for your listeners that don't know what chromatography is, chromatography, simply put, is a very large cylinder filled with very expensive sand, and different molecules uh, are attracted to that sand uh, at different levels. Now, if you mix solvent and your distillate and you pressurize it through your sand, 
uh, what you'll end up with is stratifying layers of different molecule groups. Uh, and then when you depressurize it and you uh, clear out that column, you end up with uh, these uh, actual visible stratifications of molecule groups, and some of those uh, some of those sections, those fractions, have THC in it, which you can remove, throw away. Other fractions are highly concentrated with CBD, uh, and you can keep those. And that's uh, a method that's commonly used by the pharmaceutical industry for uh, isolating molecules that simply wasn't in use uh, in the cannabis space at all. Now it's very commonplace mm. uh, here, but we were the first to do it. Okay. Um. Was it, that was a complex process, I'm sure, to, to enable. Yes, we definitely uh, had many years of failures of Got it. identifying methods that did not work. Damn. So then what, what kept you going at that point? What, what makes you so passionate about this particular product? Uh, first of all, I think it's uh, having the technology that, that, that we know is going to be invaluable in 10 years. Uh, the, the, the reason I got into the cannabis space, I'm not a cannabis user. Right. Uh, don't, don't smoke, uh, don't smoke pot. Um, is that, you know, at 25 years old, there were no other $200 billion industries that I had access to ever build a company that could have a, a 1% market share of. Um, and given that the cannabis space is f- federally illegal in you know, 200 <laughs> countries, yeah. Uh, I felt that uh, we were going to see inside of our lifetime a, uh, a regu- regulatory change at the global level that would allow for this to become uh, an emerging legal market. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you why it's like passion. Uh, I'm passionate about it. I, don't, I haven't thought about starting a cannabis industry, but our co- cannabis company. But my dad has gone through a lot of health issues, and um, you know there was times where he took like Ativan you know, like for anti-seizures and things like that. So it's like there's there's a component of like this can really, really help people, um, you know, solve issues that normally can't be solved or are solved by medications that would normally hurt people as opposed to help them. You know, so that's why I, I like, you know, cannabis industry, CBD, all of those things are super helpful. And my dad has like, he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's, but I'm not even sure. He, he has Parkinson's. He, he may have been misdiagnosed with Parkinson's, and so they gave him a bunch of medications that caused a lot of other things, which was which were bad. So I'm like, I had I came to this conclusion at one point. I was like, we got to give my dad like CBD. We can't fu- we can't f- screw with this other stuff anymore because he's taking this anti Ativan is known like you can, you can only take in the small doses, right? So you know if you take it too much, you could have like. F- effed up shit happen, right? <laughs> like you could have like stuff that just goes bonkers in your body because you, you, you take it too much. So, you know, we did start giving him CBD and we saw like slight improvements. And I think it takes, depends on what you're, what you're doing, but it takes a little bit of time to like see results and, but it's natural and there's no like, you know, people get confused with natural, but that's a whole, di- another discussion. But like, um, I, we saw improvements you know, we saw improvements. Uh, it takes a while. You know, it's not as fast as like a pharmaceutical drug, but there's no bad side effects. There's no like your your eye is twitching or <laughs> you, you lose your memory or <laughs> you know what I mean. So that's why like I'm I, I like what you're what you're doing. A yeah, lot, so. that's the other thing that I think is as an organization, everyone's clearly focused on is that you've had an entire class of molecules that it has been illegal to research for the last 100 years. Yeah, so there's which over makes f- no sense. I mean, 
It makes no sense. <laughs> it really doesn't because there's a huge med- medical benefit. Like I feel like cannabis can wipe out a lot of medications. And do you feel that there's the component of that, like the pharmaceutical drugs don't want cannabis to become more popular? Well, I, I would say that the, the, the biggest resistance to, to cannabis is that it is a botanical extract and you can't patent botanical extracts. Uh, there's going to be... Yeah, you can grow it in your freaking backyard. And you can grow it in your backyard for free. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and, and you know, there's over 500 compounds in, uh, naturally occurring in the cannabis plant. We've probably researched four or five of them. So now we're talking about for the next two or three decades... Uh, continued research on 495 compounds right. and then the infinite number of analogs that can be spun off from those compounds that have uh, unknown medical benefits. Uh, and so uh, as, a, as an organization, we're fascinated by the fact that you know, we literally have a lifetime of research just to you know, catch the tip of the iceberg on uh, the medical efficacy uh, of this plant's potential. I love it. So you mentioned trends, right? So trends, that's one thing that you've, that's helped you with your, your former success, your, your success you've achieved so far is you've seen things that not many other people see. And because of that, you're able to capitalize in a commercial way, right? Yes. Usually too early. And it costs a lot of money because of our early entry to such ventures. Right. Right. But yeah, yeah. The timing I mean, it's such a complex thing. So it's like, how can you get the t- timing exactly right? It's like a moving target. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's trying to get like a bullseye on a moving target. You know, it's going like zigzagging up and down and then going left to right, up and down. And you're like, how, how do I do this? And it's like a thousand feet away with government officials telling you what you can and cannot do. <laughs> yeah, and, and have, having the rules change, uh, which, you know, to an entrepreneur just isn't fair. But I mean, that's that's life. So if we if we look at the cannabis space in 2005, uh, you know, 25 year old me saw that there was a $200 billion global industry. People were right. actually spending $200 billion. It wasn't like the cell phone industry in, in 1988, where we said eh, in 10 years, there's going to be 40 million users in the United States on, on PCS. Now, we currently have $200 billion being spent on cannabis today, almost all of it entirely in the black market. Now, the people that implemented those policies starting, you know, 1937 with the Marijuana Tax Act, mm-hmm. you know, follow, following through, uh, you know, into the Nixon administration with the war on drugs, uh, 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 further amplifying uh, cannabis prohibition, the people that put those policies in place uh, that grew up in, in the reefer madness era are dying. And so what we've seen is, is a linear increase from the 1970s until today of a positive improvement in, uh, in public opinion on uh, eliminating, the pro- uh, eliminating the prohibition uh, on, on cannabis. And so we're seeing it in Canada. Uh, it's already happened. I think that we're going to see it by, uh, by, by next year after uh, this uh, presidential cycle in the United States. And then I, I would see you know, 20 to 30 percent of, uh, of countries around the world within the next five years passing identical laws because uh, they're archaic, they're asinine. Um, you know, you, uh, these laws are not preventing anyone from using cannabis. Uh, they're just disproportionately throwing people in jail that don't belong there. Yeah, and it's like also the fact that if, if cannabis is illegal, it becomes a gateway drug. But when it's legal, it's no longer a gateway drug. It's just something that is uh, provided commercially to everyone. And there's no, like, shadiness behind it. And because of that, there's no shady characters trying to capitalize on it. Right. Yeah, from a public, public policy standpoint, all you have to do is look at the data. If you look at Washington State and Colorado, right. you see teen use of cannabis has gone down since 2012. Mm-hmm. So tax and re- taxing and regulations work. 
if you right. want if you want to keep this out of the hands of the children, uh, which uh, you know I think is a stupid argument anyway, uh, it actually works. Tax and regulation will keep cannabis out of out of the hands of the youth, people under eighteen or twenty one, depending on state regulations. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so okay, so so now what you're doing is you manufacture cannabis for. Um, what is the goal at this point? Uh, our company does not touch any tetrahydrocannabinoids, so no no okay. TH molecules. We we manufacture CBD, uh, CBG, uh, CBC, so so other minor cannabinoids that are um, commonly used for uh, for pain, uh, inflammation. Uh, we're seeing sports recovery companies uh, really uh, get attracted to some of these. Uh, and then uh, what our superpower really is, uh, is twofold. We have the ability to remove THC uh, at an industrial scale that is unmatched by any other company in the world. Right, right. We also have the ability to compound uh, these minor cannabinoids in a way in which they have a faster onset and they have a greater absorption rate in the human body. And so we have the preclinical data that shows that uh, we have the ability to get upwards of uh, 45 times as much uh, uh, active ingredient uh, into the human body uh, versus a traditional format. And you created that mechanism. We invented it. Yes. You invented the mechanism that allows them to, allows people to absorb the, uh, the THC more so than if they did it in another uh, method. Correct. Okay. That's interesting. So what was that process like? Like in 2014, the first problem that we saw uh, in the industry was that there's too much THC in, yeah. in, in, in distillates. And so when the Farm Bill passed, we looked at exporting from our federally permitted nurseries in other countries into the United States. The one thing that we had to identify is how to remove THC. So right. we successfully did that using chromatography. Second problem is when you look at a, a, a dietary supplement at the time that is cost prohibitive for most people to take in high doses is it has an extremely low oral bioavailability, which means that if you take 100 milligrams of any standard CBD product from something that you can buy online right now, uh, you're only going to get about five and a half or six milligrams into your bloodstream after two to four hours. Right. Uh, we decided to overcome that by encapsulating these molecules in very small water droplets right. and your body absorbs water uh, readily. And by doing so, we go from getting six milligrams so, into, the, into the bloodstream to getting 70 to 75. So j just to clarify, so what you did was you, you used chromatography was that something that you started yourself? Yeah, we did. Okay. We, we so you invented that. that. Okay. So you, you used chromatography to extract THC um, to then create a process that creates a more absorbable THC at a hot, much higher level. So Correct. Um, so so you're saying like percentage-wise, the, the level of, of uh, you know, cannabis that you can absorb, THC that you can absorb is what percentage? Uh, that when, when you put that, that droplet or whatever the case may be in water, whatever the case may be. Uh, so if, uh, so in, we've got four, four different, four different versions of this technology, uh, increases the absorption rate from anywhere from about 10 times to 45 times, 45 um, times. Wow. And just to give you an example, uh, inhalation has about a 33% absorption rate into the human yeah. body. We're over double, uh, the absorption rate of smoking right. or vaping. So you're like 67% above and above. Wow. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, so we were, we were speaking about a lot of interesting things uh, last night, right? Um, that was fun, by the way. It was awesome. Yeah, that was a great time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, it was, we went to uh, 10 Bistro 
in Newport Beach. That was that was awesome. And you know, one thing you talked about was like you because we were at a restaurant. You're like, you know, most sugar is free, right? And so you were like, uh, you know, you were saying that potentially we could have a situation in the U.S. where cannabis THC is free to everyone. Virtually, yes. So, so this is just another unpopular opinion that I have about cannabis. So if you look at the cost of manufacturing of a sugar packet, uh, a single serving of cannabis costs roughly the same. Or if you look at my company's method of manufacturing, our 2017 yeah. manufacturing numbers, we were under, under 0.2 cents a gram in 2017. And so there's going to be companies that do things far better than us uh, in the very near future. Uh, and with the right regulatory environment, they'll be allowed to ship interstate and internationally. Yeah. And so if you start looking at really what is the uh, what is the marginal cost of manufacturing a single serving of cannabis? It's virtually free. And so I feel that companies should be preparing for an environment in which um, which a, a single serving of cannabis is free, which means that you're now uh, as a brand having to develop infrastructure that supports that type of uh, price structure uh, and uh, you know, market outreach uh, that you know, resonates with people that are sick of paying um Far too much money for uh, for a product that's been illegally inflated, or sorry, in, inflated by uh, artificial uh, re regulation restrictions uh, on possessions of manufacturing. Yeah, so uh, that was really interesting conversation, honestly. And so, so if you guys don't know, Michael is one of the first guys to actually grab dinner with me the day before a podcast, which is awesome. I love that. And uh, Mike, you mentioned that like I need to talk more about I need to relate some somehow to the podcast the podcastee my own stories and how I you know relate to and resonate with whatever is being talked about yeah we don't know anything uh, about you <laughs> yeah. listeners want to know <laughs> okay so let's flip it just for a second okay what do you want to know about me and then I'm going to go back into the pillars of success because you only shared I don't know you just like you you, you left me hanging a little bit uh, you just maybe you did that on purpose. I don't know, but I'm gonna get back into that. But yeah, yeah. If you let's just let's just talk about whatever you want to talk about. So I, uh, I think the most. Of the, I think you know it'd be great to hear your Genesis story. How did we end up in this room in, in a podcast? And how <laughs> did you? Uh, you know, why were you compelled to uh, do something that is an undertaking of this size? Uh, great question. I, I, th I think I just enjoy it a lot. I mean, I, I started working with business. I like working with business owners and helping them grow. Um, I just, I really, really enjoy it. And so right now what I'm doing is we, we do, we're, we're shifting our, the focus of our company to like content production, content distribution for uh, marketing, co for companies. So we're the marketing arm for any company that wants to hire us. And so that's awesome. I also did like a few conferences, you know, yeah, in the last few years. And there, there's a securities attorney that was, has always been my client. He, he kept coming. He's like, dude, you need to do that. You need to change the focus to like a venture conference. Um, and, you know, through that process, I've been out through a lot of crap in my life and business. And, you know, it's crazy. You know, <laughs> I don't even like to share this, but the first time I shared my story, I had, I shared it. It took me like a year to share it. And then like I shared it on stage and, and then I had like three people crying afterwards because like i shared the story and people were like holy like a i'm lot not of people crying you're this. crying <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm not crying I'm, I'm the guy that's that will say that <laughs> uh but 
But I did. I cried on stage. Like, I just like, just bawled. I just bawled, like bawled my eyes out. And like, uh, so I mean, it's a while back, but I got I got sued by my mom to prevent my dad from going to a nursing home. Uh, and that process, you know, I learned a lot through that process. But dad's medical condition got continually deteriorated. Had to get past all the legal stuff. Got past that. Finally saw my dad again. He's got this big pressure wound. Uh, you know, he's all these uh, new medical uh, ailments that he didn't have before, you know, that he now had. Um, so I had to address those things. So going through the process of like all the farm, all the crappy pharmaceutical drugs, he was on like 15 of them at the point. And we got him down to like, I think one, one, wow. one, one drug. And I like, helped him heal naturally. I helped him. I did a lot of research on all these different drugs and figure out ways to get him better without putting drugs in his system. And, you know, it's funny because if he didn't have an advocate, he'd probably be dead or in much worse position right. at this point. Um, but he, he went into this facility walking and talking. And then like, it was like a, a matter of weeks before he couldn't walk or talk. So it's like, what happened? He did some, he got some type of medical treatment that gave him some type of stroke, you know, I think we don't even know, like, and, and everybody act like everybody in the healthcare system, like, it's so weird. They just act like it's normal. Like, Oh, it's not, you know, it's just progression of Parkinson's or whatever the case may be. And we think it's, you know, so, so I had to fight through that. I was going broke through that process, paying for legal stuff and medical stuff and, you know, figuring out how to like get my dad better by sneaking doctors I knew from like, you know, from my network into the facility, like to help him. And my, the whole, my whole perspective on medicine changed at that point. I was like, this is a shit show. This whole thing is a shit show. I don't know like who, like how did this come about? Right. And it, it, it's funny because you go through these, ex these experiences and you like you start sitting in the hospital uh, with people that have family members that are taking care of them, and and they start looking. You start having conversations with these people in the hospital, and they go, "Do you think some of these pharmaceutical drugs are bullshit too?" I'm like, "Yeah, I took I took my dad off this 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 and this. Oh my my uh, my husband was on that." And I took him off. I was like, "What the hell was it doing to him?" I was asking all. I was like, "Why we need to get the, we get, need to get him off this?" And so I'd have conversations like that with people, and my my perspective started changing. Um, and uh, on medicine, especially in in the U.S., like you have, why are we the richest country in the world? We're the richest country in the world, but we're thirty seventh. Yeah, I don't think healthcare. we have time for that. That's uh, four, <laughs> four more podcasts uh, yeah. for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. So. So, anyways, let's let's go back. Let's go back to you. Uh, I'm I'm taking your feedback, and I'm like, okay, let's share my story just a bit. Uh, but I love helping businesses. You know, I love helping them grow. I love helping them um, make an impact on the world because I think entre entrepreneurs will change the world. I agree, hundred uh, percent. There's no like, uh, we're a little crazy. Like you said, there's something wrong in our in our brains. I don't know. I don't know if it's something right or something wrong. I have no idea because it, 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 I think it would be right if, if you could actually change the world in some sense. Right. So I guess it is, you know, but I've been through a lot of struggles and I kind of enjoy the journey as painful as it, as it is sometimes. Like it's like so painful, you know, when 
you need to make money or whatever, whatever the case may be. It's so painful, but when you get through it, you're like, oh shit, you feel a little bit better. Absolutely. Right. And so, all right. So, uh, third pillar of success for you. Culture. Culture is everything. You want to grow. Uh, if you want to grow a company, uh, you can't, you can't do it alone. And, uh, the foundation of every great company are the great, uh, staff that you bring on. Um, culture. Yeah. And so I'd say probably one of the biggest un- unseen costs, run- actually the biggest unseen costs of, of running a company is turnover. Uh, but if turnover is not a problem because you have a shared vision that everyone in your company is alignment alignment with, uh, they're now showing up to work for things that are more than money. Uh, hopefully it's a better quality of life they have uh, working with your organization, uh, trying to get uh, your vision uh, uh, you know, in, into reality versus any any other option in their life. So, so let's step back here. So we have resilience. That's one. Pretty much like this uh, aspect of entrepreneurs that is innate, in your opinion. I, I think it's not. I think it's not innate, but we'll go with that. Right. I think that's a, that, that that's a that's a question you have to ask every single one uh, of the people that you have. All all of your guests. Let's uh, you know, chicken or the egg. <laughs> what came first? Some people think it's innate. Some people think it's you know developed trait. Resilience. I think it's both. You be born, born with the aptitude, and then it has to be curated. See, this is my, this is my thought on this though. Like seventy to ninety percent of people hate their jobs, right? It's just true. If you're listening to this, you, you probably would agree. If you have a job, right? So you're saying there's no way out. If it's innate, there's no way out. No, I think that anyone can find something they're passionate about, and I think anyone can find uh, a mentor that helps them. Uh, turn you know their uh, potential hobby uh, into a commercial enterprise, even if it's part time, uh, even if it's uh, something that just uh, you know is an outlet for you to do something. But some people just can't take the can't take it. Yeah, it's it's not for it's, everyone. No, yeah. it's absolutely not for everyone. I mean, like the worst days of my life have been due to the fact that I run my own company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's like a byproduct of like just hating your life one day. But it's like kids. I don't have any kids, but I imagine if you had kids, uh, yeah, you have some of the toughest days of your life. And at the end of the day, you know, that's what makes life worth living. Same thing with your company. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, you can't experience the ups without the downs. I agree. I agree. So resilience. And the second is pattern recognition, right? Pattern recognition is in a sense, like seeing where their market's going in a commercial way. Some people have pattern recognition, but they don't have pattern recognition in a commercial way. So there's like two levels of intelligence that are required for pat- that type of pattern recognition, right? Yes. Um, that's not something you can learn. I think it is something you can learn. I think that if someone maybe, puts Maybe, maybe not. I don't, some, some people just comes to them really naturally. You're right. Like, it absolutely does. But there's also people that spend so many hours, they spend so much of their life dedicated to mastering something. That mastery allows them to see details yeah. that other people don't. And it's the understanding of uh, what could potentially be changing, uh, what what the changes inside of a market uh, will allow in terms of opportunity. Yeah. And then moving on to another one is being action-oriented. Do something. Being action-oriented. Okay. Can't just talk about it. How, how do you, how do you become more action-oriented? Well, for me, yeah. I'm a list guy. So I just start making lists, and then every single day I do everything on the list. And the no last, matter what. And the last thing I do at the end of my day is make a new list for the next day so I can sleep well at night and I'm not tossing and turning, thinking about if I did everything I could that day to optimize my time. So I am a uh, make a list before I go to bed, wake up in the morning, cross out 100% of the things on that list. And if you do that every day for six months, you will be successful. I love that. I love that. So the pattern recognition and then uh, 
making sure that you have a list that you complete every day. Everyone's different every day. on how, how, how they execute. My, my, my style of execution is, is uh, identifiable list making, you know, task making, um, and uh, being organized in that way. But just simply executing is, is the key for anyone is, is be action oriented. Gotcha. It's okay to fail. Uh, it's actually great to fail because you figure out ways of not doing things. Uh, but uh, it's definitely better than sitting around and thinking about how to perfect your system or to wait for perfection. Um, my dad called it uh, paralysis by analysis. Uh, it's when you know people simply uh, lack action because they feel that things aren't perfect. And right. no, I mean, get, get 70 or 80, 80% of it right and then go do it live, and then you're going to have to fix things, make pivots uh, dozens, hundreds of times yeah. uh, before something actually works. But the way that you figure that out the fastest is by simply taking action today. Got it. So take action today. But you feel people like they, they're too, too much of a perfectionist, and they tend to wait for things to happen because they're waiting for the perfect moment or they're waiting for everything to be perfect around them? No, that's absolute bullshit that people are perfectionists and that's why they don't do things. People don't take action because they're fearful. Yeah. They are terrified yeah. of failure yeah. or of not doing something right. You need to get that out of your head and just simply go do it, go fail, brush yourself off and do it again, right. fail again, do it better, keep doing it, and you will be successful. I love that. I love that. Okay, so, and then, to, to obviously, you can do that yourself, but you have to have a team around you at, at some point. To start growing and scaling. I mean, I, I started Chromogen Biotechnology in 2011 on a boat with a cell phone and a dog. It was the <laughs> equivalent of like my Wilson from Castaway. So I had, I had the only in-depth conversations I had with a dog that you know may or may not have talked back to me. But that was my life for six months. Was like a cell phone and a dog. Did you really? Did you? Is that is that a joke or did you actually have conversations? Oh, full on. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, yeah, full on conversation with a dog all the time. Um, yeah, he was, he was my sounding board for all, all of the yeah. great ideas in the, in, the, in the genesis of this company. Um, so I think he's got some stock options laying around here somewhere. <laughs> um, and so it doesn't take a team. It just, takes, it just takes action. And so you can, as a single person, you can start whatever you're passionate about now, whatever you think uh, is possible to achieve over a long enough timeline, uh, and just start doing things today. And eventually you get to a point to where uh, you generate revenue, you generate enough revenue to maybe hire your first person, uh, and then scale, scale that way. But no, it doesn't take people. It doesn't take uh, anything other than yourself, a cell phone. I mean, we, we've got the internet now. God, it's easier to start a business than ever in history. Yeah. So, but you mentioned culture too. So when you do have people, you need to develop a culture. Yes. So once yeah. you actually start hiring people, uh, then you know, culture is key because your, your biggest cost, um, uh, your, your biggest liabilities uh, in, in starting a company is, is, is turnover. Do, do you think people uh, take culture for granted a lot? Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's commonly neglected uh, in, in companies of all sizes. Yeah. I think every single manager uh, uh, lives with a bias that they're a great manager. Mm. And that's not accurate in most cases. Well, if you call yourself a manager, you're probably not going to be a good manager, right? Like you work for the people that are employed by you, right? It's not the other way around. And I think bad managers think it's the other way around. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so culture. All right. Have we gotten to the fourth one? Did we get to the fourth one last night? Uh, so we have. Uh, so I think uh, we, we did not get to the fourth one. So uh, so education is, is critical. Education. Uh, if, if your uh, you know, continued mastery over a market requires self-education. And thank goodness we have things like Khan Academy. You have MIT courses online. 
Uh, you have things like Wikipedia, which you know, people can say what they want uh, about that. But the fact that we have access to more information to self-educate than ever before for free. And also our ability to go on Amazon and to buy you know, any book on, on any topic and have it arrive instantly onto your Kindle or your phone. Um, again, you have no excuse uh, to not you know, educate yourself every single day. Uh, wh- why do you think you've been successful up to this point? Is it, you've obviously had your dad that educated you, right? Um, resilience you definitely have. Pattern recognition, for sure. Culture, you know, I haven't seen that yet. I'm sure you have a great culture. But what would you say is like the number one thing that has caused you this? Uh, I think, you know, I, I think we can, all, all of those things uh, notwithstanding is just having grit, uh, not giving up because uh, there have been heroic failures. There has been legal issues that have been uh, debilitatingly stressful. And just the fact that I refuse to give up uh, is the number one reason on why we're successful. Yeah. And so, and so th- Going through that process, everybody's against you at that point. Like nobody's saying saying to go on, right? Well, uh, you can look yeah. at it that way, or you can just look at it. Uh, you know, you're playing you against you every single day. People that compare themselves Love against it. their neighbors or their friends. Uh, I mean, stupid, right? Well, you're losing. You, you just lost. Yeah. You 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 play yourself against yourself every day, and you play it as hard as you can. Right. But don't start comparing yourself uh, against anyone else, other business people, uh, other friends that you have, family members. Uh, you've already lost. Right. All right. So education. Uh, should people be reading every day or should they be reading every week or? Uh, I think that people that enjoy reading should read every day. I think that people uh, that are more, uh, that, that like videos should be using uh, tools like Khan Academy or, uh, like I said, MIT courses online are great. Uh, there's plenty of ways or methods to educate yourself. You just have to find the one that works for you and then consistently do it. Mm, got it. Okay, cool. All right, so resilience, pattern recognition, culture, education. All right, you've thought about this thoroughly, I'm sure. Which part? All, all of these, these six, these six concepts, right? Uh, yes, yes, I would, I would say that uh, I have. Okay, okay, cool. We talked about earlier. We talked about resilience, uh, the f- four pillars of success. There's six altogether. One was resilience, one was pattern recognition, another was culture, education, and then the fifth, what's the fifth? Uh, so fifth is, is balance. Now, this is something that I simply did not understand in my 20s. I was working seven days a week, 12-hour days. Uh, I was opening a new seven or eight-figure company on average every 10 weeks. And so uh, that, was, uh, that was a pace of life that just seemed normal at the time. Uh, and it was fun. It was fulfilling. Uh, but now as I, you know, get into my thirties, realized that the key, uh, a key pillar of long-term success is, is maintaining balance. And that's both in my own life and then creating a company in which balance can exist in everyone else. And so, so I have a, an ethos awesome. that everyone in our, everyone in our company should be able to do their entire job in 32 hours and that no one should be consistently working over 40 hours a week. Dude, that's awesome. So why why did you create that that uh, mechanism or that that way of, of working? Uh, well, uh, I think that growing up with my father, he was a self proclaimed king of the hundred hour work week, as you said. <laughs> and I'd see him on Sundays, totally fried. And I just knew when I grew up, I was not going to have that kind of lifestyle. And so I think that there's. So do you work thirty two hours? Uh, I, I I mean, every week's different. Some weeks I'm working twenty. Sometimes I'm working eighty. Depends wow. on the week. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, and so, but I think that uh, making sure that, you know, 
it's your job as a leader of any organization is to really identify what's expected of everyone in the group. And I expect everyone to work their ass off when they show up, but I expect them when they leave work to unplug and engage with people that are important in their life. I love that. I love that. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are attracted to that type of culture and that's awesome. Not all bosses are like that. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, with Every technology, uh, with technology these days, it's really easy for people to be connected all the time. And I think right. that if you're a leader, you need to make sure that you maintain firm boundaries because those boundaries are going to, uh, you know, encourage uh, happy and fulfilled, you know, staff members, right. you know, you know, team members, and that's what's going to give you longevity. So create a good culture and then find out what are the hot buttons of every one of your employees and and have them work based on what their schedule is and how much time they want to spend with family and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely, uh, we have, uh, we have someone in the organization right now that is, uh, one of his main key tasks before May is identifying how to create more sustainable methods for, uh, employees outside of research and development to yeah. remote in. And I'm fully supportive of that. We've got two, 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 two staff that are having twins in April and May. And so I want them to be able to take as much time with their family as possible, still be effectual in the workplace, uh, but also um, you know, have that balance of being um, you know, high, high producing individuals within the company and still being happy with their family life. I love it. I love it. And do you feel that makes them a lot more productive? A- absolutely. You have. Yeah. It's like when you're in work, you're going to freaking work your ass off, right? Exactly. That's what, that's, that's your philosophy. Yeah. When you plug into work, you're giving it a hundred percent. You're not just, yeah. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. And then, uh, okay. So balance. And then the last thing, the last thing that I think uh, is commonly, uh, neglected that was probably the biggest amplifier to my success were healthy habits. Um, I ended up rooming for a week at a development conference with my best friend's brother, Matt Patton. Now, Matt Patton's the kind of guy that when he turned 30, most 30-year-olds are like, I'm going to get in great shape and I'm going to go to the gym and get a personal trainer. Matt Patton decided to become a professional boxer. And he was on ESPN twice. Uh, uh, His his nickname was El Gato. And the intensity in which this guy – uh, operates his life was, was made very visible to me the first time I stayed at his house. So in 2015, I go and I, I stay at his house and I wake up at about 6 a.m. and there's a person screaming in the house. And I hear this, you're the fucking man. You can do anything. <laughs> and this is going on for about five minutes. And I kind of, I wake up and I go into his room and I see he's in his bathroom and he's yelling at himself in the mirror. <laughs> And that's how he starts out every day. Every day. Yes. He has a list of of these 15 affirmations that he has on his mirror. I ended up making decals of those affirmations and giving them out to my entire staff in 2015. But what he does is he wakes up and he does not look at his phone. He wakes up, he hydrates, he drinks a liter of water, he meditates, he then exercises, he eats a high-protein breakfast, takes a shower, shaves, brushes his teeth, and then after all of those things are done in about an hour and 15 minutes, at that point, he's allowed to look at screens. Mm. But he does not uh, look at a single screen until all those things are accomplished. And now that he has a beautiful wife and family, uh, he brings that same intensity uh, to uh, creating a balanced, structured life uh, that makes sure that he's uh, you know, giving himself uh, you know, the, the love and attention to make him you know, healthy and happy before he goes out and engages in the day. Does he work out every day too? Every morning. That's part of, that's part of the thing. Before he looks at the screen, he has to finish his workout. Wow. So it's meditation, exercise, high protein breakfast, 
shower, brush your teeth. Every day. Then screen every single day. Is, do, do you have a daily routine that you implement? Virtually identical. Virtually identical. Yes, I took took his routine, and that is essentially my routine can, every single can morning. Can you just mention that one more time so we can all copy that? Yes. So first of all, no screens until. No so screens thing, until. So hydrate. One liter of water. Hydrate. Meditate. Meditate. Start a meditation practice. So people that look uh, look at that and say that's ridiculous, it's they should they should meditate. There's there's myriad different ways of meditation. You yep. could uh, do yoga. You can listen to a calm app. There's uh, organizations like Art of Living that teach you very mechanical breathing techniques. So you just do breathing for ten minutes. What what, what has meditation done for you? Uh, I would say that meditation has allowed me to make uh, better decisions uh, in the. Uh, in, in, the, in the strategy process in that where as the genesis of a new technology might have taken 20 iterations by, uh, by uh, trying something, failing, pivoting, you know, trying something new. Uh, so, and, and it took them from 20 steps down to five steps. And so right. I just feel that by uh, engaging in meditation on a regular basis, it allows me to make better decisions and to trust my instincts um, a lot better than before. That's awesome. Okay. So hydrate, meditate, and then exercise, just move 20 minutes. Everyone can move, whether you're walking on a treadmill, whether you're doing compound lifts, no just, matter what, no just, matter what, yeah, every tw- day, 20 minutes a day, you can do it. If you want to do more, great, be healthier, but every, and, everyone can, can, can exercise. So the hydrate more. meditation exercise, how, how yeah. much does that change your life? Uh, I would say that, uh, those things have worked better than any nootropic. So whether, you know, it was, you know, experimenting with, you know, caffeine, provigil, uh, other, you know, uh, yeah. Adderall, those types of things, uh, not, n- there's not a single, uh, smart drug in existence that holds a candle to meditation and exercise combined. I love that. I love that. It's like, um, it's like limitless. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a clear mind? You're, you're smarter. You're, you think, uh, more rationally. Absolutely. When you, when you do these things. Yes. Do you feel like you're, you can control your emotions a lot more because you've exercised, meditated and hydrated? It's not that it's that you're unfuckwithable. If you, so I mean, by, by doing all these things, you're probably sleeping better, but then you start out your day with a 20 minute meditation and 30, 30 minutes in the gym. You are unfuckwithable that day. That's awesome. Nobody can screw with you. No, no nobody. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So hydrate, meditate, exercise, and then. High protein breakfast, get 20 grams of protein in at least. High protein breakfast. And right. then shower, brush your teeth, forces you out of your PJs. Even if you're working from home, do it. And shower. then after all of those things are completed, then you're allowed to look at your phone. And I just feel like having that as the carrot at the end of the stick for all of us that are addicted to these things. Are you addicted? Uh, of course. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm addicted too. <laughs> and so, and so we yeah, have a problem. It, 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 yeah, as a, as a society, we have a problem. And so, if you actually set the boundaries for yourself, for like, okay. I'm going to check my phone for the first time after I do the things that are healthiest for me yeah. to give me the best possible day. Yeah, uh, and that just becomes a routine that you do every like, every single day. I feel like saying it's been three hours since my last, <laughs> you know, LinkedIn post, like comment or whatever. <laughs> like, you know. uh, but one thing I recognized, I was uh, so I was at this development conference with Matt Patton. And, uh, and, uh, Yannick Silver, another brilliant gentleman, uh, asked everyone in the room, there's about 15 of us. He says, you know, raise your hand if you have a daily routine and cumulative net worth of people in that room was probably about $4 billion. And I was the only person that didn't raise their hand. 
and this is six years ago. So I realized that of all of these people that were absolutely brilliant, uh, that were true pioneers in uh, their industries, if every single one of them had a daily routine. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. I better get my own We got going. coffee. We had drinks last night. <laughs> now we have coffee and we're cheering to coffee. We're cheering with coffee. <laughs> awesome. This was very insightful. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I think we'll have another podcast for sure. Anytime. Uh, you're in Nevada, though. No, so I'm in Denver. You're in Denver? Yes. You're in Denver. Okay. Offices in Nevada. Your headquarters are in Nevada. Headquarters are in Nevada. But now you're in Denver. Opening in Denver. Opening, opening in, Denver. in Europe this year. Wow. At this point in your business, are you enjoying it more than you've ever enjoyed it? Uh, I just think having the ability to wake up every day, uh, to be in a creative space, uh, to not have to answer to a boss, um, and just play in a sandbox that I want to play in is what any of us could ask for. And, uh, and every single day, um, yeah, is, is incredible for me. Dude, that's awesome. Hey, well, thanks for uh, doing this podcast. People listening to this podcast, how do they get your product? And how, if somebody wants to reach out, how, how would they reach out? You can go on our website, uh, www.senlabs, that's C-E-N-L-A-B-S.com. Uh, we don't have consumer products yet. Those will be launching on Amazon probably in about two months. Uh, but you can always find me by just going to the contact us. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Michael Brubeck. Michael Brubeck. Yep. I'm on. Awesome. Okay, cool.